So Money episode 1120, Shark Tank star and entrepreneur, Robert Herjavec. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. I think what a recession does and why this is such a great time, it gives you clarity of focus. You know, when things are going good and money's cheap, you know, when we started Shark Tank, you couldn't get a bank loan. And if you could, it wasn't going to be very big. So you had to be right. And one of the biggest problems with most entrepreneurs is they chase unlimited opportunity. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. You might be a familiar sound. That's the voice of Robert Herjavec. If you watch Shark Tank, you know who Robert is. He's the founder and the CEO of Herjavec Group and a leading shark on ABC's Shark Tank. Really excited to unveil our interview Robert was born in Eastern Europe. He arrived in North America on a boat with his parents after escaping communism in the former Yugoslavia. He delivered newspapers, waited tables, and then he launched a computer company from his basement. And that is what launched his financial life and his entrepreneurial career. In 2003, he founded Herjavec Group. It quickly became one of North America's fastest growing technology companies. Robert and I discuss the future of business and work and what are some opportunities for entrepreneurs who want to launch something relevant, new, and long-lasting in this recession. And how is he so nice, right? I watch Shark Tank. He's definitely the most even-keeled, consistently kind shark, I'd have to say, I think. So we talk about how he is, who he is. Now, what's interesting is before we started the interview, I hit record. You're going to hear our preamble talking about how Robert was having a little bit of a challenge with technology. Ironically, uh, where obviously where he works, the security level is very high. So the recording link that I sent him was not something that he could just jump onto. And so there was a little bit of a delay in us connecting, but we had a good laugh about it. And you don't want to miss the rest of the conversation. Here's Robert Herjavec. You assume everybody has multiple browsers. I know. It's the pandemic. We don't we've accelerated technology, haven't we? Yes. Yes. We have nothing else to do. I know. <laughs> well, listen, I just hit record because I know um, it's Friday and we want to probably it's beautiful here. I'm in uh, on the East Coast. Um, Where are you? I just moved to New Jersey, actually, from the city, from New York City. I'm really liking it. How about you? Um, I'm in Hidden Hills, which is a uh, just north of LA in Calabasas. But oh, the nice. weather is great where you are today. Isn't it, it is for a change. Yeah. Do you think that this exodus from New York, Manhattan is real? I think that for families who have means, yes. <laughs> I think what we're seeing, I, I just look at sort of, you know, who I know who has left families with multiple kids. This the city is just not friendly for families right now. It's not it never really was to be honest. I mean, I we 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 wanted to move pre-pandemic uh simply because, you know, with our kids and it was just logistically like it wasn't fun getting around the city anymore. 
for various reasons, subway breakdowns, our building's elevator was always broken. It was like the little things, the stresses of the day-to-day. And now that's compounded, of course. I don't see how you can kind of relocate your whole family and start school and get settled and then go, oh, maybe we should go back to New York after a year. I think that people are kind of finding a new life elsewhere. And at first it was probably really scary and and they felt maybe they were you know giving up on New York and there was a bit of like, you know, guilt around that. But now I think people are really loving like the suburban life, (laughs) the space, the pools. I, I agree with you. I think what I'm finding is, and you said it really well, all my friends with families and means have left Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And they went through a phase of, oh, am I giving it up? My commute is going to, you know, once the office opens up again, my commute's going to be horrible again. And we'll go back. But I think the general sense now is that part of work may never come back again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, the idea of going back in, I mean, we run a company with 350 employees. I've seen maybe one or two people from my company since February. And yeah. I never would have thought that. And, you know, I know we're talking about Bake-A-Wish, but I got to tell you, that's how I got involved with them. Because what we're, you know, when the pandemic first happened, there was a little bit of shell shock and everybody went home, everybody worked from home and they were all like, oh, we may not survive. And I felt the communications level and the, and the connectivity was really high. You know, we were on Zoom calls every day. How are you doing? But I think as time went on, it began to fray at the seams. You know, people, nice day. They're going to go outside. And I think what we've struggled with work-wise is how do I stay connected to 350 people that I don't see in the office anymore? Mm-hmm. And I may never see in the office again. I mean, we'll get together once this is all over, but it's the new dynamic, we think. And of course, as we approach the holidays, this is the season where for many companies, it's kind of the time to celebrate and band together. And it's going to be very different this year. So tell us about your partnership with Bake Me a Wish. Um, I've been recording this whole time. <laughs> so yeah, you know, so good. I love this conversation. So tell me a little bit about why you wanted to team up with them and, um, you know, a little bit about also if you're struggling as an employer, how do you make the space, the financial space to gift this year? Well, you know, it's, I think we are like many small or smaller, larger businesses or even larger businesses. What we're struggling with is, you know, once we realized we weren't going to go away and the world wasn't going to end. So I think we're in the fortunate set of companies that are surviving and trying to grow. And we see a light at the end of the tunnel, wherever that tunnel ends. But by far and away, my biggest challenge is staying connected to our employees um, because they're physically not here. And, you know, Zoom was cute for a while. But after a while, 20 Zoom calls a day becomes really hard. And to your point, especially with the holidays coming up, because normally we do like a little holiday party, you know, take people out for lunch and just show your gratitude. Because especially in our industry, but I think it applies to all industries, your greatest asset is your people by, by far and away. You know, in tech, we don't make anything. We sell services. We provide consulting. It's our people, and we need highly connected, 
empowered, energized people. And so we're looking for a way to simply give back, make a connection and short gratitude to them. And the problem is, you know, how do you do that? Do I, do I send them another Starbucks, you know, gift certificate? How do I make them feel special? And so our team found Bake Me a Wish and we loved it. We, you know, they sent me one to say, I got one. I got a couple things. Giant gifts, Robert. I, I don't, I've, I've been freezing the, <laughs> the goodies because I'm like, this is going to last me through the 2021 and 2022 calendar year. Well, Furnish, the first thing I noticed when I got it is it was substantial. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It wasn't like a little card I got that, you know, I ran out and said, oh, honey, look, I got a $5 Starbucks card or something. Right. So that's, that's the first thing that I noticed. But the other thing to your point is it engaged my family. And I think in this time, I, I appreciate our employees and the work that they do, but I appreciate their families for giving them the space and making the time. Because if, if we've learned anything during the pandemic is the family unit is even more important. Mm -hmm. And there's so many people working from home. So anyway, that's, I love those things about it. And we got involved because I think it can be a real competitive edge, not just for employees, but for customers. And I understand that a percentage of all purchases go to help small businesses through Bake Me a Wish. Tell us about that. Yeah, through the rest of the year, 5% of all the orders go to the Business Empowerment Fund in order to help small businesses because... You know, I think that those are the businesses that are really struggling. Uh, as you well know, um, since the pandemic started, we've been doing a lot of work with small businesses, with doing some Instagram feeds and just talking to even our own Shark Tank investments, mm -hmm. just trying to help people through it. I mean, this is, this is scary. I remember when this first started, I was watching CNBC and... One of the big analysts said, you know, we might be entering hell. And, you know, then a couple of minutes later, I was on CNBC doing an interview and they said, what do you think about the economic climate? And I said, you know, we're in hell. Mm -hmm. And when you're in a deep, dark place like that, you just got to get through it. Now, the fortunate thing is I think we know a little bit about what the world's going to look like. Uh, and there's some level of certainty and so we got to get back to growing our business. We got to get back to appreciating our people. And basically, we just got to get back to work. And with the holidays coming, we have to find a way to, you know, show gratitude, be compassionate to our team and just show them that they're appreciated. Switching gears, you mentioned Shark Tank. I would love to get your sense of what are some of the opportunities for entrepreneurs right now? Or if people are thinking of starting a business as we know, in the last recession, uh, so many incredible businesses were born out of almost like the necessity entrepreneur economy. People had to start businesses because there weren't jobs. Uh, mm -hmm. But now, you know, that's similar, that, that's repeating to some extent. But I think we've also learned that a recession is a great time to start a business. What do you think are some opportunities, advice for listeners who may want to dip their toes into entrepreneurship? Yeah, Fernish, thanks for that question. You know, I was thinking about uh, this yesterday. And I probably started four or five substantial businesses in my life. And as it turns out, I started every one of them 
in a recession. And, you know, knock on wood, pat on the back, they've all been pretty successful. And so I was thinking about that. Like I didn't plan to, it just, it, you know, there was a recession and I had to start a business. And I think what a recession does and why this is such a great time, it gives you clarity of focus. You know, when things are going good and money's cheap, you know, when we started Shark Tank, you couldn't get a bank loan. And if you could, it wasn't going to be very big. So you had to be right. And one of the biggest problems with most entrepreneurs is they chase unlimited opportunity. And they wake up every day. It's, it's almost the opposite of what you think is people say, oh, you should find opportunity. There's tons of opportunity in the world. You have to find the one opportunity that works for you and execute on it. And one of the weaknesses I see in so many entrepreneurs, and we see this on Shark Tank is, you know, one day they're doing this and then somebody tells them, oh, you should get into this part of your business. And now they're, now they're selling online and then they want to open up retail. And then they're like, oh, we should do a catalog. A recession gives you that clarity of focus because resources, including money, are limited. So you got to make sure it works. And I, and I think that's a real benefit during this time. It used to be that the the big risks we the lenses the, the risk lenses through which we would look at businesses or startup ideas was is it recession proof? Now we're like, is it pandemic proof? What's the next lens? You know, there, it's like the, the unknown, right? Is it is it global warming proof? Is it uh, is it well, cyber a- warfare proof? Like, what do you you know looking ahead? What are what should businesses be thinking about in terms of shielding themselves from these? external factors that we don't control? I, that's a great question. I, I, I look at it slightly differently. I think what the pandemic has taught me, and you know, we talk about this with the other sharks and some other business leaders, it's taught me two things, really. The first one is, is my business, is the level of survival in my business strong? Because pre-pandemic, we made some assumptions that we thought were set in stone, meaning customers would always buy. You know, there'd be bad quarters, so you planned on a 20% dip in one quarter, or, you know, God forbid, you go down by 30% in a quarter, or you don't grow by 4%. But there was no business plan for nobody buying. It, when when the pandemic first started, my CFO and I came up with a black swan plan that was we would get no new customers, none of our existing customers would pay us, how long would we survive? So nobody plans for that. So the first thing we've learned is what is the survivability of your business regardless of the macro conditions, whether it's a pandemic, a cyber war, uh, anything like that. That's the first part. The second part though is, you know, it's the connection with the customer that carries the day. Great businesses connect with their customers in whatever the media happens to be and great businesses pivot. So I look at a business like uh, Canada Goose, Canada Goose is an incredible brand. People love their product. You know, they they love those jackets. I don't know if you know them, but they're these 
winter jackets. Yes. Living in yeah. New York, you see starting around Thanksgiving, the line wrapping around the block in Soho. It's 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 a, an exquisitely run business, I have to say. The, the, the people inside, they've got their iPads. They let people in one by one or two by one. And so I think what they're doing really is creating a sense of scarcity. And frankly, if you're going to wait in line for an hour, by the time you get inside, you're probably going to buy something because you want to make your time worth it. I have to believe that's intentional, the fact that they make you wait so long. I I, I think you said that really well. And what but what they've done is this they've transgressed the functionality of the product i.e a winter jacket into a brand mm. that the you know the conjures up more than just a jacket i mean you're not buying the jacket because it's one of the warmest coats in the world you're buying it because it's canada goose and as a brand it makes you feel a certain way it it's like driving a BMW. It's, you know, especially in cities like New York where you don't drive, what you wear is basically your status symbol. Very much. And it evokes that emotion. And they've been able to trans, uh, to turn that online. It's the same thing online. I mean, they're, you know, they have limited runs and people log on and see if it's available. So that business has done very well through that pivot. And what we've seen on Shark Tank is basically the same thing. We had, you know, many people thought that this year, oh, it's COVID, you're going to see nothing but high tech businesses. Some of the most successful businesses we had was a lady that started a jigsaw puzzle company. Very low tech, but she did, <laughs> no, she did it in a very creative way. Very we had another, mm -hmm. Yeah, we had another lady that came on that had, you know, like these candles that you can used to massage and stuff that made you feel really good to, you know, relieve stress. They were killing it. But I think the commonality is the connection with the customer. Yeah. Some things just will always endure, you know, and we're finding now more than ever in a pandemic home all the time that you going back to basics, going back to the good old ways, sometimes there, those things endure the, the board games that we grew up with. They're the ones that are flying off the shelves, right? Can you speak to that a little bit? Like in terms of when you're trying to come up with the idea, sometimes it's, it is about recreating the wheel a little bit, something that already exists. Yeah, I think that what we've learned during the pandemic, I mean, certain trends got accelerated, remote from uh, remote work from home, uh, digital transformation at the enterprise level, all of those things. But to your point, uh, we've gone back in so many ways in anything that brings the family together, things we can do from home. And I think what it goes to is it's very difficult to start a business in order to take advantage of an existing trend. And I always think of the old quote from Wayne Gretzky. People said, oh, why are you such a great hockey player? And he said, you know, I don't skate to where the puck is. I skate to where the puck is going to be. And I, I think that really holds true. I think if the lady that started the Jigsaw Puzzle Company didn't start a Jigsaw Puzzle Company and fall in love with Jigsaw Puzzles because of the pandemic. She loved Jigsaw Puzzles and she did Jigsaw Puzzles. And you know, she was deeply passionate about it. The pandemic simply afforded her a vehicle to take her passion and bring it to consumers.
On Shark Tank, Robert, you're not the quote unquote Mr. Nice Guy, uh, <laughs> at least, uh, you know, uh, from a branding standpoint, but you are, I think, the nicest on the panel. And there is a misnomer that you can't be nice in business. And yet you, I think, have uh, have busted that myth. So how did you become you? I mean, w- were you always sort of having this perspective on things, this nice kind approach? Did you learn this? Sort of because I don't think I think some of us have it and some of us have to practice it. Sort of practice like being kind and remembering to be generous. <laughs> you know, it doesn't. It's not natural in us, especially when it comes to business. When the stakes can be high, emotions can run high. You may say things that you don't mean, but I mean there are books on how to be nice in business. So clearly, this is something people need to learn. You seem to have this in your DNA. So tell us about where that comes from. Yeah, thank you. I, I, you know, I always caution people when they say that to me. It's not a very high bar on Shark Tank to be the nice one. I think that uh, Kevin's done a great job of branding himself as Mr. Wonderful and so on. But I think it's just, you know, I always try to put myself in the position of the other person. And it goes back to partly being an immigrant and, you know, coming to this country and my mom and dad always instilling that in me. And this whole idea that uh, you're as good as anybody else and, you know, you're no better than anybody else and no one's better than you. And you've just got to always uh, be kind and and look at the other way. I think most people that aren't in business think you have to be a jerk to be in business. And what I had to learn, because I am a pretty nice guy, naturally, I had to learn to stand up for myself. You know, I think we all lean one way or another. Kevin is probably naturally a little meaner uh, than, than not. And I'm probably a little too nice than not. But being kind doesn't mean being a pushover. And being firm doesn't have to mean being a jerk about it. And I think that's the biggest fallacy of my friends who aren't in business. You know, they say to me, oh, I would, you know, I would never be good at business because I, I, you know, I can't be, I can't be a jerk or I can't be this. And I'm like, you don't have to be a jerk. You just have to be honest with people and you have to be empathetic. But, but, you know, to your point, I think most people think that's how business works. They have this image or fallacy of somebody sitting there, you know, smoking a cigar in a three-piece suit, yelling at people. It just doesn't work, especially in this day and age where business is so competitive. And I wonder if it has anything to do with the fact that we often talk about business in the context of money. And in our culture, the pursuit of money is also branded as something that is not necessarily virtuous. It's so funny you say that because, you know, I'm an immigrant and my parents would talk with their friends about everything, like everything. Oh, you know, your cousin's doing this with so-and-so. And I mean, the most uncomfortable conversations. And then I'd go home and I'd say, oh, you know, so-and-so is an architect. What kind of money does he make? And my dad would say, don't you talk about that. No. <laughs> You know, and I think it's cultural, like, oh, money, shouldn't talk about that. And what's your what's your number one money lesson growing up as a kid? I always ask my guests, I like to hear about their childhood experiences with money, something that has stood out. 
You can spend your way to poverty, but you can't save yourself to wealth. What do you mean by that? Uh, so my dad was a blue collar guy, worked in a factory. Uh, and, you know, we did okay. We, you know, we, he paid off his house one day. We had enough food to eat. Uh, we had a little bit of savings, but we were never rich. If, if you want to get wealthy in life or really get ahead, you've got to start a business. You have to have financial literacy and you have to know how money works. And my dad didn't. But he saved. So if, if, you know, if you work hard and you save money, you'll, you'll be fine in life, but you'll never get wealthy. Is this a philosophy that you embraced early on in your career? And so, or is it now in hindsight, you look back and you're like, that's, that's the thing. Or, you know, or, or if you did have that mentality early on, how did you learn that? That's great. I wish everybody knew that <laughs> starting was, out. Well, first of all, my dad worked harder than any other human being I've ever met in my life then or since, even to this day. Like I, I work hard because I love what I do. I'll never work as hard as that man worked. But I remember I was 16 and I started thinking about buying a house because, you know, we didn't have very nice homes and we weren't well off. And I remember calculating the amount of money I needed for a down payment and then after my tax rate, I started figuring out, you know, how much that is. And I remember thinking, how in the world am I ever going to save that kind of money starting from zero? And I was like, I won't be able to afford a home until I'm in my 40s. And so uh, it just, that really hit me. And I said, well, my dad works so hard. How is he ever going to get ahead? And that it just... It really, really hit me hard, which is one of the drivers of wanting to start a business. Is there a business that you've invested in that sh through Shark Tank that has really just been a home run for you? Um, you know, there's at this point, season 12, uh, you probably have to think a bit on this one. But is there are there is there a standout? And if so, why? Uh, we've 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 been lucky because we've had a few standouts early on and today. I mean, I think my longest running standout is probably Tipsy Elves. And uh, on that same level, we've had Sand Cloud. Um, most recently from last season, a company called Bad Birdie. I think the commonality what we found is to our earlier point, the connection with the customer. Tipsy Elves made inappropriate, ugly Christmas sweaters. That's what they started with. We now make ski suits and, and other sweaters and St. Patrick's Day t-shirts. But the commonality is fun and the way they make you feel. So they've been able to take that connection with their client and create an entire portfolio of products around it. Anybody has a strong connection with their customer in the long run uh, will do well. Well, I like that. That's a great Reminder as we headed into the holidays and we're reminded of the importance of connecting socially distant safely for now, but hopefully we'll be back to an, a world where we can high five each other at least. <laughs> Thank you so much. And everybody, if you want to check out Bake Me A Wish, you want to go to this website, bakemeawish.com forward slash business. Robert, thanks so much and good luck with the next season of Shark Tank. Oh, thank you very much. 
Thanks so much to Robert for joining us. Learn more about him at robertherjevec.com. You can also follow Robert on Twitter at Robert Herjavec. All this information's on the website, somoneypodcast.com. And while you're there, send me a question for our Friday episodes of Ask Farnoosh. And remember, if you leave me a review on iTunes, I select one reviewer every week to receive a free 15-minute money session with me. So if you have some thoughts about the show, good, bad, so-so, let me know. Hope to hear from you. And I hope your day is so money. So money. 